0: The following sermon is brought to you by thepreachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. We have come with open hearts, oh let the ancient words impart. I want you to be opening your minds tonight, first of all. We're going to get into our Bibles in the book of Philippians here in just a few moments. But I want you to open your minds for just a moment and I want you to consider with me three very basic questions. Three very basic questions. You know, when we think about these particular questions, we need to be examining our hearts, and I mean examining our hearts to the point that we want to delve deep into them and try to really see who we are, what we are, and exactly how we ought to answer the questions. And I'll put each of them on the screen for our assistance. First of all, Ask yourself a very simple question, and that's this, if you get where you are headed, where will you be, and I would add to that, when you get there? If you were to get where you're headed, of course, it's spiritually speaking, where would you be when you get there? That's sobering to think about, because I think about some of the things that I've tried to do in life, the ways that I'm trying to go about that, and I realize that sometimes where I'm headed is not really where I ultimately want to be. So we have to think about that. If you get to where you're headed, where would you be if you got there? Second question to that, if you accomplished your goals, and I would add to that, that you've set before you, would you have what you really wanted? You know, we set our bars, if you will, our standards high sometimes as far as what we want to obtain in this life emotionally and physically, materially, financially, all of those realms outside of the spiritual But what if we set ourselves upon every goal in life and we were to strive toward those goals and ultimately all at once in one day, if you will, receive all that we ever dreamt of? Would it really be what we want and what would we really have? And then the third one here is simple, although it comes down to an even more sobering position, and that is this. When you think about your life, is the life that you're living today, that I live today, is it really worth Jesus dying for? He's already died for us. He's already spent his blood on the cross, as we well know. He's already given himself up, as we're told, for the church, Ephesians 5 tells us. But is your life, I mean the life that you live, I'm not asking you to tell me, I'm not asking you to review with me your life, but asking ourselves, is the life that I'm living right now, was it really worth Jesus dying for that? Now, I realize that the latter question, if we think biblically and spiritually and soberly, sometimes at least we would probably draw the conclusion, well, no, I, I don't feel worthy of that. I don't feel worth that. But we have to be careful in that line of thinking. Because, you see, what we know, what we think, what we feel, what we believe is something totally different from what God knows, what God feels, what God thinks, and what God believed. And he deemed that his son would die. Whether I ever feel really worthy of that, if you will, and maybe I shouldn't in some senses, but whether I ever really feel worthy of that, that's no matter. That's no reason because God made that choice. Now, with that in mind, in light of these three questions, I now want to talk to you about how to have a formula for success. It interests me. And when we get ready to close, the kids sing, as we call it down here. We ask those children there, you know, what is it, what is your goal in life? I don't know exactly how it's worded now that I'm trying to say it, but where should our focuses be? Well, someone says, the children say, well, to live the Christian life and to go to heaven. Friends, that's without a doubt what success is for a child of God's. And really, although the world may not recognize it, may not even understand or comprehend it, that's what true success ought to be for every individual who walks upon this earth in human form. But how are we going to recognize or how are we going to be able to tell and see if we can meet with a formula for success? Now, when you think about a formula, as I've kind of drawn one here, I have no idea what that says on the bottom, by the way. Some of you do. But this mathematical equation or formula here that's presented on the bottom of the screen, you realize that in each of those places, in each of those areas, there are various factors. That just means there are numbers or letters or or symbols or something like that. Things that have to be factored in, if you will, if we're going to understand and know what these things add up to be. So go with me now to the book of Philippians. I enjoy using familiar text. As a matter of fact, I enjoy going to text text. Over and over again sometimes, just to look at it from a different facet, to see it from a different perspective, and all the while keeping in mind, trying to keep in mind or be aware of what God has for us, what he has in store for us to learn from any given text. But in Philippians chapter 3, if you're there, Philippians chapter 3, pick up the reading with me in verse number 10. We're going to use four or five verses is all we're going to use for this. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, you'll be familiar with it. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes, albeit by inspiration. He says, That I may know him, and by the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, be made conformable unto his death, that if by any means I might obtain of the resurrection of the dead, not as though I have already attained, either have already perfected, but I follow after that, I may have apprehended that which is also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Then you'll recognize this for sure. Verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth on those things which are before and tied to it closely. Verse 14. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now I want to just key in on two phrases right now just to set this up and put our minds to saying something about this. When you look at the first phrases we read across there, he said that I may know him. Then you look down there in the latter part of that when he says, I count not myself to have presented, but he said this one thing I do. I'm supposing here, and I'm not saying this actually happened, I'm setting this up for my understanding. You know, oftentimes when we read in the New Testament, we can assume that some of these writers, like Paul, as he was to the Corinthians at least on those 1st first, uh, first and 2nd Corinthian letters that are written to him, oftentimes Paul has been asked questions. And oftentimes they're doctrinal questions. These things have been begged of him and said, well, you're an apostle, tell us what we should do here. Tell us how, should, how we should react over there and such. But then there are also times I don't know that Paul was directly asked any question, but I think many times Paul directly answers questions based upon the types of things that he hears, maybe as he passed through the streets, again, by inspiration. So I want you to make an assumption here, and I'm not trying to get you to add anything to your scriptures at all. Please don't misunderstand me. But I want you to consider what if someone had walked up to Paul on one occasion and asked Paul questions such as these. Paul, do you consider yourself to be a success? How would he have answered that? Or maybe yet, someone came to Paul and he said, Paul, uh, let me ask you a question. What is your main focus? What is your main goal in life? Uh, What would make you feel as if you've been a success in life? I think biblically speaking, Paul would have said, first of all, my goal in life is that I may know him by the power of his resurrection. And I think secondarily, just to split the phrases up, Paul would have then turned around and said, this is one thing that I'm going to do. Then he describes going toward Christ, living, in essence, for him. Now back up. I want you to notice five of these factors with me. And I'll put these on the screen also when we think about the five factors in this form. The first one I want you to notice, and these won't be alliterated like I normally do. They'll be in sentence form. But the first factor I want you to notice is this, that relationship is more, and that's the key there, I should have capitalized all of that, Relationship is more important than accomplishment. Now, what the context v- reveals unto us, and we had to back up and read to see all of this, but if you back up into verse, uh, basically about verse uh, 3 and following in this context, the Apostle Paul presents a case that if he chose to boast or brag or whatever it was, if you will, uh, physically, or after the human standard of things, he could definitely do that. Notice what he says about himself. He says, we'll just pick up in verse 4. He says, though I may also have confidence in the flesh, that if any other man thinketh he hath whereof that I might trust in the flesh, I'm more. He said, I could say more than you could. I, could. I could talk about myself more than you could. He said, I will circumcise the eighth day out of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is by the law blameless. He said, but, but what things were gained to me, I counted them all loss for Christ. A little bit later, he'll say these things were as dung, verse 8. That means I consider this just to be rubbish. This is just garbage. Now he had obtained a lot. He was born in the right nation, born in the right family, born of the right people, having the right schooling, and on and on you could describe him. He had been a persecutor, albeit, but in the name of God. So he thought. Concerning zeal, he said, I was zealous. I had a fire within me to serve God. Yes, he was great on that standard. And he could have, as he's supposing here, I could be boasting about that. But, I'm counting all that behind me as a loss. You ever made it through a day, and I have many days like this, you probably do. You make it through a day, and at the end of the day, you kind of look back and you say, you know, I did a lot today, but I got nothing done. You were busy, cumbered about with this and that. You never got to sit down, slow down, or anything, but at the end of the day, you say, I just really didn't accomplish anything. Why, Paul had been busy. Paul had been one of the greatest or hardest, you could say, workers for God in the intermediate there as Christ had come in and such, and he was still reaching back for that old law. Paul was a hard worker. Paul did a lot. He was a man who was always busy, I'm sure. He so said, that's no good. What's missing, Paul? Paul? What's missing from you? Well, Paul would have had riches and such. It probably came along with being a Pharisee and such as that. What's missing in his life is that he was misunderstanding that the relationship that he has with Christ was more important than every accomplishment in life. Now, by the time we read this, he's been sobered into the position of knowing that that's the case. Go back in your Bibles, and we'll turn just a little bit. Of course, a little bit is more than ever for me, but let's go back in your Bibles for just a moment the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 19. Again, using familiar text, we're introduced to a man that we, we call after we read the gospel accounts, the separate gospel accounts, and put them back together. We refer to this man as the rich young ruler. You're familiar with that, that account, that, that storyline. The rich young ruler comes unto Jesus. Matthew 19 and verse 16, and he says this, or it says about him. And behold, one came unto him and said, Good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now he's mistaken in his thinking already. He's asking, what thing can I do? What good deed can I do, if you will, to have eternal life? But nonetheless, verse 17. And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good, and that is God. But wilt thou enter into life? Keep the commandments. Of course, Jesus begins to iterate what those are. Which Jesus said, "Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself." And the young man, of course, Matthew's account tells he was young, and the ruler. The young man said unto him, "All thing, all these things have I kept from my youth up." And Jesus unto him, "If thou wilt be perfect, made complete, that is." Go and sell all that thou hast, and give them to the poor, that thou shalt have treasures in heaven, and come and follow me. Now we read in the next verse, verse 22, that he went away basically saddened, distraught. Why? It said he had great possessions. He didn't want to give it up. Now he had accomplishments, certainly. He had probably what he had thought he desired in life. But what he was missing was that relationship with the Lord that he needed to have. That's why the Lord said, look, you sell what you have. Why? Because you've got to get rid of the things that you think you care about because you've got to follow me. Now, there's a key, and this is a key that we must learn early, and we must keep it late. There's a key to any good relationship, and it's based on this fact. You cannot have a relationship with anyone that you do not know. And by the word know, I'm using Paul's word here, that I may know him by the power of his resurrection. That word know means to have an intimate relationship with, to have an intimate knowledge of, to have a close connection with. Now, we sing songs in our songbook, and I'm not discrediting this song that I'm about to list, nor any of the others that are scriptural and based on, on, on the text, certainly. But we sing a song, and I enjoy it. It says something like this. It says, more about Jesus will I know. More of his loving grace to show. More about Jesus and such. I don't remember all of those. But that phrase there, more about Jesus will I know, there's no doubt we need to know more about Jesus. But I'm going to say this. A lot of people know about Jesus and don't know him. It's too easy for me to know the facts, to know the accounts, to know the storylines, to know the great works, the wonders, and not ever get to know him. Now, if you look back at this text, I mean by that our main text in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. I want you to consider with me that he knew him in various ways. First of all, he said, I know him personally. He said that I may know him. Now, if he ever had a a kinsman who knew him, a friend who knew him, a co-worker, an accomplice who knew him, that matters none because he said, I want to know him, to know Jesus, to know him personally. Secondarily, he he said that I may know him, and second, by the power. He said, I want to know him powerfully. Why is that? Well, as he emphasizes, we're going to go into just a little bit in a moment. He says, by the power particularly of his resurrection. Let me tell you this. To raise a dead man in any time. I mean, Old Testament or New Testament times. Underneath the miraculous age, to raise a dead man at any time was a feat, if you will. An accomplishment. Of course, no man would have done that save God do it for them. But when you take someone who doesn't just raise someone else, but raises themself, you have really gone and done something. It's what Jesus did. Jesus came out of that grave, yes, by the Father in one sense, but in another sense, as he being God himself, he came out of the grave all on his own. That's power. And the same Savior that walked out of the tomb on that morning is the same Savior that can give me power over my sins over myself, over my situations, circumstances, and all we could name. I must know him personally. I must know him powerfully. Look at the next phrase or so, that I may know him by the power of his resurrection. And then he says, and the fellowship of his suffering. Friends, I must know him passionately too. I've read across this phrase, I don't know how many times, because I love the book of Philippians. I love the Bible, but I love the book of Philippians particularly. And when he talks about having the fellowship of his sufferings, I think about that and I say, well, you know what? In a way, physically, Paul endured that. You know, Paul was beat. Paul was stoned. Paul was shipwrecked. Paul, as he said on one occasion, I bear therefore the marks in my body, whether they be physically or spiritually or both, he could have answered either one. He must have known the suffering of Christ. I don't know that that's the complete sense here. That could be accounted. But I think it would be more accurate to try to think of it more like this. To know Christ's sufferings is to suffer for the causes he suffered. And I even carry it this far to say this. If Christ saw a soul dying and he still looks down and sees these, by the way, you know this. If Christ saw a soul dying, wasting away, falling in the pit of hell, unbeknownst to themselves, out of ignorance or or bliss, one of the two, Christ is suffering because of that. He's saddened by that. He's desirous that soul be lifted up, be saved. And if I'm going to suffer with Christ, I'm going to suffer that same tear feel those same pains it's about knowing him passionately having his passion or compassion so we must know him personally powerfully passionately then I would even add even one more to that because of what he says here but that I may know him by the power of his resurrections and be made conformable unto his death friends I would add to that preeminently and I know that's a bigger word than than a, a Mufford boy typically uses. But something that is preeminent is even more so emphasized than a priority. A priority is one thing, preeminence is above that. Friends, if you would die with someone, they're important. If you would die like Christ did, that is important. It's not easy to say, but Paul will be willing to do that. So very quickly... First of these, relationship is more important than accomplishment. Number next, we also learn this, that satisfaction, satisfaction, if you will, uh, may mean that you have aimed too low. If I ever get to a point in my life, I hadn't hit the button, if I ever get to a point in my life where I can say, well, I'm I'm pretty much, you know, uh, I'm pretty satisfied with the way I live. I mean, I've obeyed the gospel, I've heard, believed, repented, confessed, I've been baptized, I've been worshiping faithfully in the services of the church for X number of days or months or years, and I'm pretty well satisfied with that. If I am ever satisfied in life spiritually, I've aimed too low. You say, what do you gain that? Well, again, as you see it on the screen there, verse twelve, I think carries that idea. He says, "Not as though I have already attained; I hadn't got where I want to be. Either I have already per- perfected or been perfected." You could imply, but I follow after, meaning I keep going. And if I may have apprehended that which I am, I have apprehended. Of Christ. What he's saying there, Paul. He's saying, I hadn't already obtained it. I'm not perfect. I'm not complete. I'm not finished. But if I ever will be, it'll be because of Christ. The mistakes come in in several forms. One mistake that we make sometimes is that when we make comparisons as to whether or not we're where we want to be, whether or not we're satisfied with ourselves spiritually or not, We compare ourselves to the person next to us or in front or behind. Go with me back to the book of uh, 2 Corinthians, I believe it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. The apostle also writing this by inspiration, but here's what he says. I appreciate the wording of the King James. There are some translations that are actually a little more emphatic than this, but I do appreciate these words. He says, for we dare not. Now, the idea of dare is it's kind of like a kid would do. I dare you. If we dare not, don't dare yourself. Don't try this. If we dare make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. A lot of themselves, by themselves, and such. All he's saying is this, don't look in the mirror and say, you've arrived, I like what you're doing, and be satisfied. Hence, do not look to your neighbor and say, well, I'm doing as well as they are doing. He says, if you compare yourself by yourself, maybe someone says, well, I'm a little better than I was yesterday, so what does it hurt? I mean, I'm growing. If I'm growing, I'm going. Don't do that. So he says, well, I'm a whole lot better than this this person. He says, don't do that. I've heard all of my life inadvertently and and said it too. I'm not going to say I haven't in some form. But I've heard all my life someone who's sitting at home inside of their four walls on the Lord's day, not even obtaining to worship or any of that sort. And they say, well, I'm, I'm better. I'm just as good as some of those people inside of those doors. I'm just as good as those people up at that church. I want to hear somebody say this. I'm just as bad as those folks in that church. Friends, this room is full of sinners. Yes, uh, sanctified, washed by the blood of Christ, no doubt about that. But at the same time, friends, we were sinners, such as were some of you, Paul would tell the Corinthians. At the same time, at times, we are sinners. And if we're sober about it, at the same time, later at point, some point, we will be sinners. Maybe not accountable on the day of judgment. Maybe able to beg forgiveness of that. Maybe able to, be, uh, to pray and repent, be forgiven, or what have you. But at times, we are sinners. That last phrase right there, and I... I've struggled with this, this wording here for quite some time. When he says that if they measure themselves by themselves and such as that, compare themselves, he says they are not wise. There's one sense where you could say, well, it means they're ignorant. They don't know any better. I even, I even have interpreted it this way, and you, you may have heard it interpreted this way. It's as if he's saying they are fools. Or a word I don't use much, especially around my children, they're dummies. But the word here implies that the sun's in their eyes. If I'm going toward Talladega every afternoon, I'm going into the sun. Now, you may live somewhere different, so it may be different from you or whatever town. But it is hard to drive into the sun and to know what's ahead. If someone says, well, I'm doing a lot better than I was the other day, it's as if the glaring sun is in their eyes and they're never really going to see. If they say, well, I'm doing better than old Joe down here or Sister Sally, well, it's as if the glaring sun is in their eyes and they'll never really be able to see. Paul's saying to us, on behalf of God, I haven't arrived yet. And so factor number two in measuring our success is this. If we are satisfied, we may have aimed too low, set our standards high. Number next. Thirdly here, we could add to it, you are never a failure. One is never a failure until they quit growing. The lack of growth is the end of basically everything for a child of God. For someone to say, Well, I did make it just so far, um, I did go just, as, just to some point, and there I am, and that's good enough for me, that is a failure within itself. Look at verse 12 again. He says, They're not as though I've already obtained, yet neither was I already perfect. I follow after. What do you mean, Paul? He means I understand that no matter where I am in the moment or where I may be one day, I have to keep on going. Now, the word following right here is interesting. Several different words come from the Greek and are translated into our English as we may have it before us. This word follow right here in verse 12, chapter 3, the book of Philippians means to relentlessly pursue. The idea is that I follow regardless of how hard or difficult or problematic or trying it may be. Now, we were right across the page or so from this, and I even referenced it just a little bit. Go with me the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 this time. We were in chapter 10. Go to chapter 11. You'll be familiar with this. I'm going to begin reading it. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 24. Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes. That's 195 if you're counting. He says, Thrice I was beaten with rods... Once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night in the day I spent in the deep, in journey's often, in perils, in waters of perils, in robbers, in perils of the mine own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger, in thirst, in fastings often, in cold, in nakedness, and beside these things that I was without, that which cometh upon me, the daily care of the churches, verse 28. Now we look at that if we if we really stopped and we won't stop to consider each instance and try to picture describe it in picture, but all that is we would say rough stuff. Paul didn't have a bad day physically; he had a bad life. This happened to him time and time and time again. That would be easy for myself. I can't speak for you, but it'd be easy for myself to say. Well, you know what. I've gone about as far as I can go with this. This has not been as easy as I thought. Matter of fact, this has been a lot harder than I ever expected. And so I can't go any farther. You know, Paul, instead of going from city to city to city and preaching and teaching in those synagogues and being beaten and locked up, put into prison, ultimately threatened with death and ultimately probably slain for this, Paul could have easily said, you know, I want to be like a regular regular church member. And I'm not discrediting regular church members and putting preachers above. I'm just saying it just for illustration. I just want to be a regular old church member. Whenever the saints gather, I'll gather with them. I'll slip in the back door and hold a pew. I'll come and I'll go and, and I'll, uh, I'll carry myself the best I can. I'll be a good moral person. I'll just do the best I can. But I'm not going to be a standout anymore. I'm not going to be speaking up for much anymore. Why? Because it's been too hard. Any time in life that we quit anything, we have failed. You've all had your your football teams or baseball teams or whatever sports that you may enjoy, if you enjoy those. You've all seen your team on the field or on the television, however you got to that medium. And you've thought to yourself, well, they they just didn't even try. They just gave up. They just quit. That's a lot more aggravating. To watch than someone who really gave it all they had now when Paul's writing here of course we're getting down to the text of it and he starts talking about being in the middle of a race pressing toward the mark forgetting those things which are behind that's 13-14 put together what Paul is implying and emphasizing there is that I have to keep on keeping on with this it's a continual daily thing that I must commit to and you know what that takes being able or being willing to do that and we're moving into the next idea requires me to do that on a keyword daily basis we've got several groups of Christians that sometimes infiltrate in and out of the church one of them are basically weekend Christians sunday is their day I mean, being religious and spiritual and faithful, that's not that difficult on a Sunday. Why? Because out of habit or whatever it is throughout the years, they have gotten to a point where that's just what they do. That's all right with them. But that doesn't make their life right on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. At the same time, we even have a breed that has come through. We could easily be guilty of who have quit, and basically they've not only quit as far as the week goes, they have even quit on the Sundays. And many times, here's why that happens. They accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. Whether it be physically, they obtain materially or financially, and they're now satisfied with that, and they can can stand back and say, well, the Lord has certainly blessed me. Friends, if God ever blesses anyone to the point that that causes them to walk away from God, that was not his intention. It was supposed to bring that person and someone else who maybe saw that. Look at what God does do. Look at what God can do. Not push them away. Sometimes we take siestas, vacations, vacations. The Lord, because we're satisfied with where we are. And then he says this, looking at the same passage, verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. What do you mean by that? He says, I press toward the mark, verse 14, of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This is the next factor here. And that's very simple. Concentration. You could put in there focus. Concentration is the secret. To the power God gives you. Putting myself. Asphyxiating myself. On God. Is the secret. To winning. Any of these races. Spiritual race of life. Particularly. Again on the fields. You've all seen those Athletes. They're headed down through those sidelines or whatever. They're making good progress and they're looking toward that goal and as they get closer and closer and closer they feel something behind them whether it's just sheer excitement and they turn back and then someone catches them and it's all over. To run in the Christian race is to continue to run faster and faster and to continue to focus Closer and closer on God. You know, we've turned off some of the lights in here, but I'll give you a description of any of these light bulbs. This is the case. At least the old style. I can't tell you about this new stuff, really. But the old style bulbs had a filament inside. And those filaments were extremely bright. You've seen those with the clear housing on them, the older ones, and sometimes we buy them specifically. The clear, extremely bright. But more times than not, such as these are similarly designed, they have what's known as a diffuser on the outside. It's basically a white or various colors, yellows and such, a diffuser that allows that light to spread out. You know, light can be that way. If you diffuse light, one light could, could light the entire of the room. But you take that same light source after the right means, and you focus it in one place, and it becomes a laser and it can cut through steel. We don't necessarily always feel like we' have the power, or a powerful as powerful as God would have us to be. But sometimes, not always, but sometimes that's just simply because we've lost our focus. He said, "I'm pressing toward the mark. pressing toward the mark. It is the prize of the high calling. You know, someone told me one time, they said, well, you know, you, know, you study this Bible and you, you believe this thing and that. and You know what? You need to be real careful, preacher, because you have put all your eggs in one basket. Friends, i put every egg I've got in a basket if the Lord's carrying it in his hand. If God is the one who comforts those eggs. No other way around it. The secret to power is concentration. And then, finally, here in the fifth place, we can also know this Satan binds us to the past, but Christ frees us for the future. That's what he describes here in the latter part of this. He tells us very simply, yet very plainly. He says, Brother, I count on myself to have apprehended. Verse 13, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And reaching forth, other direction to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. If you consider what he could have done, I'm just talking about Paul here, then you can consider Paul could have easily, and I think that it's what he's reflecting on to some extent. As a matter of fact, he pulls it out right here. He could have easily been focused on the past. The positive or the negative of it. He could have said, well, look at all I've obtained. I'm a great man. I was born of a great nation. Great education. Great wealth, probably. Look at what I've done. My past is great. And there are some Christians sometimes who set upon those halters. Some congregations. Look at what we did back in 1984. Well, that's Great. This is 2015. We do something different. Same pattern, same plan, but we must continue to do something. Our past. We can't look back. There was a little boy in Bible class one morning. I actually heard this. It was somewhat humorous. Teacher was talking to him about Lot's wife, and she said very simply, she said, you know, you got to be careful because Lot's wife turned back and she turned into a pillow of salt. Little boy said, that's nothing. My mama was in the grocery store parking lot. She turned back and she turned into a telephone pole. <laughs> we cannot look back. You can't drive a vehicle. You can't live the Christian life looking back. He could have looked back to his past glory. He could have looked back to his past guilt. Who was it standing there consenting, Acts chapter 7, to the death, Acts chapter 8, of Stephen? Who held those codes? Paul. You think he had night sweats? Horrific nightmares? Perhaps. He could have been setting in his past guilt. His past glory. His past grief. His past grudges. If a man's beaten 39 stripes, 40 saved one five times, there were at least five sets of lictors. You think about when someone is stoned, that's not done by a solo individual. A throng of people were on him. Daily. People probably mocked him, spat on him, whatever it was. We can't hold on to our past grudges. He said to forget those things which are behind and reach forth to those things which are before. You know, Satan's will, I'm convinced. Satan's will would be, of course, he's going to be the antithesis. That's a big word for the backside of everything that God wants. So Satan's will would be just that. Look, he's going to be in our ear all day long. Look, look what you've done. Look at what you've accomplished. You, you're good enough. Or on the other hand of this same thing, look at what you've done. Look how awful that is. Can God save a person like you? Why are you trying? You won't do any better tomorrow. Satan's trying to bind us to our past. And Christ is trying to free us for the future. This is not the end all of the discussion. Certainly, and I wouldn't say that because there's more of this New Testament. There's more of the Bible. There's more to be said. But I say this. I've been careful, tried to be careful at least, that everything I've said this evening is something that was drawn off of these pages. So therefore, if we give factors in the formula in how to be a success, a success especially even spiritually, each of these factors are from God. Using these as questions. Am I treating my relationship with Christ with more emphasis than my accomplishments? Am I feeling as if I'm satisfied in this life because I've set my aim on my own goals and not God's? Have I gotten to a point in my life where I've decided that it would be much easier to quit and to give up than to keep going with a path that I've already seen that's coming? Have I been misunderstood the whole time and thought that the power that I possessed to overcome this world was based on what I have to do. And do I feel so guilty about my past that I'm bound by it in chains that cannot be broken and bindings that cannot be released? Do I understand Christ's? is willing to break those chains, to cut those cords. I want to be a success. I want to be a success in everything I do. But above everything else, we have to be successful, spiritually speaking. Could you say with a voice in your heart, I want to know him by the power of his resurrection. I want to suffer the way he suffered. And if need be, I'd die the death he died and mean it. Do you press toward the mark? If not, why not? We live life as successful children of God's or unsuccessful. We live lives of victory or we stand in defeat. If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God's, we passed across just a few moments ago some things that would be needful for that. To begin on that road to success, I think you could probably get on the, the internet or the, news, the newspapers or magazines and find all sorts of articles that tell you how to be successful. Here's what God says. Jesus, out of his own mouth, called upon us to believe in him. John 8 and verse 24, he said, except. That is, there's only one exception. Unless you believe, you could put in there, that I am he, you shall die in your sin. Jesus said that now. That's that's his key to success. Jesus would sell another group on another occasion concerning their repentance. He said, I tell you nay, but except, same wording, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. God requires repentance. Acts 17 and verse 30 would prove the same. Be willing to confess his name. Jesus would speak of that. Matthew chapter 10, 32 and 33 for both sides of that. Begging of us to confess him before men so he can turn and confess this before the Father. And Jesus, Mark 16, 16, commanded baptism and coupled it with salvation. Oh, what a success anyone would be who makes that turn in life, obeys God, and then lives faithfully. We stand here, most of us, or sit here this night in the similar positions in that we're children of God's, but it's too easy to lose that focus, too easy to give up, too easy to turn away. Well, I tell you, you've got the support of God. And anyone in this room who's thinking right, you've got their support too to live the life that's needful. But you've got to come home to God through prayer and repentance that can be done and through the assistance that God would give you through our ministering hands. He could help you to live this life to be a true success in His sight. Why not we choose those things? Why not go that way while together we stand and as we sing?